The title of my message is Fan into Flame, Your Gift. And so if you have your Bibles with you, why don't you turn with me to 2 Timothy chapter 1. We're going to look at verses 1 through 7 this afternoon. 2 Timothy chapter 1 verses 1 through 7. I'm reading the ESV version. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, according to the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus. To Timothy, my beloved child, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Jesus Christ, our Lord. I thank God whom I serve as I did my ancestors with a clear conscience as I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. As I remember your tears, I long to see you that I may be filled with joy. I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother, Lois, and your mother, Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. And so context for us is important as we explore Second Timothy this afternoon. It's known as a prison epistle, as Paul was writing to Timothy from prison at the time, and it captures some of the last words ever recorded by Paul. Now the evidence for that actually emerges later in 2 Timothy 4.6, where Paul says, The time of my departure is now at hand. He then goes on to say that he was finishing his course. Therefore, Paul knew that his time was coming. He was going to be checking out pretty soon. But what's important for us this afternoon is that we acknowledge that this epistle places a premium value on preserving and passing along a heritage that Timothy himself has received from Paul. And I think now more than ever in today's society, we, that is relevant and that is necessary when we look at the challenges that are emerging in our culture. Now it's important that we acknowledge that because that indicates to us that Paul subsequently shares everything here in 2 Timothy is the pinnacle of the revelation and the understanding that he has acquired of Christian discipleship. He's basically pouring his heart out and sharing all the wisdom that he has acquired as an apostle for Christ with his closest friend and his closest ally, Timothy. He's essentially channeling all his focus in the right manner and in the right way. But let's think about the words that we've just read there. Paul at this point is in prison. He's surrounded, he's under serious persecution, and yet there is no in remote indication of depression, bitterness, or anger in his epistle. Despite facing significant and serious concerns and adversity himself, he essentially starts his letter with grace and mercy and peace from God. Now, I want to suggest for us, in the climate that we're living in as Christians today, when we look at what's happening with the riots, when we look at what's happening with the Black Lives Matter movement, when we see the injustice, when we see the prejudice that's evident and, and, and emerging in every part of society, not just in the US, not just in the UK, I think we need to remind ourselves of our primary identity, that we are sons and daughters of the Most High God. And I think Paul's next words of grace, mercy, and peace from God, that should be the prayer that we cry over every situation. That should be the prayer that we pray over every situation, because that's not denying that the challenges are evident, 
But what it is saying, and I'm acknowledging that they have a profound impact, but what it is saying is that as Christians, God's supply is so much greater than the biggest sense of injustice, the biggest issue that's there. And therefore, we can and we will triumph over every evil, over every struggle, over every social issue, over every racial issue that we find ourselves in. Why? Because of the power of Jesus Christ operating in our lives. Paul takes the thoughts a step further and says that we can even experience the abundant life that's available to us in the hardest of circumstances. So we'll work through verses 3 through 7 together. Verse 3, he says, I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. I mean, this is a really polite way of saying that Timothy was on Paul's prayer list. Amen. That's important for us. He believed in the power of prayer and he believed that it was important to lift up people in our lives that are important to us in prayer. That same invitation is extended towards us today. We need to lift up in prayer everyone close to us, but especially at this time, I believe the church needs to lift up our black brothers and our black sisters who have experienced racial injustice, prejudice of any kind. Paul should be honored and admired here for doing the most that he can for Christ in the most confined circumstances. If he couldn't preach, if he couldn't evangelize, he's like, I'm going to pray. And that's the starting point for us on our journey this afternoon. But he takes it a step forward in verse 4. As I remember your tears, I long to see you that I may be filled with joy. Now, the reality is Paul was in prison, which means he was likely to be pretty lonely. He was probably reminiscing on the last time he had authentic Christian fellowship, which would have been with Timothy. He's seeking that authentic Christian friendship today. Those Christ-centered relationships that make the difference in our lives. And he affiliates those types of friendships with being filled with joy, which proves to us that there is always joy when Christians gather together in unity and fellowship with one accord, as we know from Pentecost last Sunday, which means our friendships with each other as believers should mirror this, that each of us are filled with joy when we see our brothers and sisters, whether they are white, whether they are black or any other race, when we see them succeeding, when we see them flourishing, when we see their careers taking off, their ministries growing, that we celebrate with them. We don't put them down, we lift them up, we raise them up and celebrate with them in those moments because that will give us joy. joy. And that's very important to us this afternoon. Verse 5, he says, I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother, Lois, and your mother, Eunice, and now, I am sure, dwells in you as well. Simply put, Paul valued his spiritual family, namely Timothy in this particular epistle, but he valued his spiritual family. And I praise God for this church, KTLCC, that we enjoy the same. We enjoy the spiritual connection, the wider family of God here in KTLCC, but also right across the network of churches here in London. We need to rejoice, we need to celebrate that more and champion that more in the days that lie ahead. And Paul focuses on continuity, he focuses on succession, handing almost from one generation to another. And he references everything that he does in verse five to the increased awareness that Timothy has to possess and understand in order to fulfill the obligations that he knows Timothy is going to have in his own journey with God. Now what 
Paul is saying also here is that to Timothy that his faith and his calling are not subordinate to his identity. They are inherently and profoundly a part of who he is. Now this shows us that our core values, our core beliefs and our Christian ministry are intimately connected to our personal and our corporate identities in the body of Christ. We are grounded in unique yet shared heritages. And the phrase here, genuine faith, indicates that it's wholesome, it's authentic, it's not presented for show, it's not false in any way, and it reflects in Timothy's life and ministry. Verse 6, for this reason I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. Now, this is where it gets really interesting for us this afternoon. Paul is essentially saying, hey, in light of everything that I've just said, fan into flame. He's saying all of this that I've just referenced leads you, Timothy, to this point. Fan into flame the gift of God. And we know the reality is there's a lot of flames that are being fanned in today's world. But the best flame for any Christian of any age, any race, either gender, is to fan into flame the gift that God has given you. And today, more than ever, as Christians, we need to stand up for that. We need to embrace that. We need to see God's gift effectively operating in our lives, regardless of our racial background, our skin color, our gender, any area of our lives. We need to be effective in that because we are always spiritual beings before we are natural beings. Everything we do and say has to be influenced by our walk with Jesus. We're created in his image and we're de he designed every part of our life. Now when you think about fanning something into flames, the, the obvious example is a fire. If it needs stoking, it needs continual attention to keep it burning strong. Otherwise, if it was left alone, it will eventually burn out. God wants us to keep our gifts burning strong for him. Our gifts need to be fanned into flame in order to function properly. Do you remember that old worship song, Consuming Fire? I'm not going to give you a solo on it this afternoon, so I'm sorry about that. But the words go, consuming fire, fan into flames, a passion for your name. And I think that should be the overarching heart desire for each and every one of us this afternoon. God gives us the fire, but the responsibility of fanning that flame and that fire sits with us. It is solely our responsibility. And we are seeing a stirring, aren't we? We're seeing a fire rising up in everything that's happened in Minneapolis and right across America with the murder of George Floyd. But that leads me to this next question. You have a gift of God, no question. My question is, what is it? And if you're aware of it, are you operating to its full capacity in it. Because that's what's gonna make the difference between winning and losing. That's what's gonna make the difference between the kingdom of God being established on this earth. Paul is cautioning Timothy to keep the fire burning in his life because he recognizes that change doesn't just happen overnight for Christians. We cannot be passive, almost lethargic in our approach. It won't just happen for us. We can't sit back and expect change to happen. We must institute and passionately live out our gifts, putting them on display in our lives and being explicitly clear about the gift 
that we have actually been given. And the same is true if you've seen any of the protests. You will see the signs, the placards, the banners. They're very, very clear. There's no margin for error. There's no guesswork as to what each of those signs say. And I think the same is true for us with the gifts. We need to put them on display. They need to be demonstrated publicly and privately so that everyone can see exactly where we stand, who we stand for and what we stand for in the day and age that we live in. Remember, you are priceless in the eyes of God. Regardless of what man may think of you, you are priceless in the eyes of God. Never lose sight of that. He loves you. He accepts you. He values you. You are his son. You are his daughter in whom he loves and whom he is well pleased. You're clothed in royal robes of righteousness. That's who you are. That's your identity. That leads me to the next verse. God used the laying on of hands to communicate spiritual gifts to Timothy. And I think that's important for us as Christians as well. But verse 7, for God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power, love and self-control. Now Paul, at this point in the journey, is probably reminding Timothy to be bold because Timothy had demonstrated some timidity, some fearfulness in his journey, in his walk with Christ. Now, Paul himself has undoubtedly been in multitude of scenarios where he himself could have maybe shied away, maybe found himself needing to demonstrate greater courage, greater boldness under immense pressure in his own life. And yet he makes it very clear to Timothy, be courageous, be bold and be strong in who you are. And this is why Paul encourages Timothy to be bold and he reminds him of where the power comes from. You see right the way through 1st and 2nd Timothy, Paul perpetually motivates Timothy to be bold. It's not a coincidence. Paul did this because he was aware of the responsibilities that Timothy was going to have. The same is true for you and I this afternoon. We have responsibilities as sons and daughters of God. We have responsibilities to serve our communities, responsibilities to serve our colleagues in our workplaces, our families, in our homes, in our schools, in every area and sphere of society. We have a responsibility and we have to demonstrate boldness and courage in order to make an impact. It's not going to come by us being meek and timid and withdrawing from opportunities that God extends to us. We've got to be courageous, we've got to be definitive and wholesome as we seek to see the kingdom extended. Why? Because we are confident that the power of the Holy Spirit is ultimately informing and instructing our lives, our decision making and our prayer life. Which leads me to this thought, we must come into obedience to the leading of the Holy Spirit. That gift is present and evident and accessible to each and every one of us. But we must become in, into intentional partnership that will subsequently propel our gift to a supernatural level through desire, through drive, and through a deepening dependency on the Holy Spirit. Simply put, use what God has already provided for you this afternoon. Don't sit around waiting for God to do something. People didn't do that with the murder of George Floyd. They didn't sit and think, well, you know, the authorities will stop this. The authorities are going to do something. No, they had to rise up. They had to rise up in the things of God, many of them, and move forward and take action. And the same is true for us in our Christian walk. We have to delve deeper into the word. We need to stir ourselves up. We need to embrace our calling, resist the world structures, detach ourselves from the culture of the world and the context of society that is decaying before our very eyes today and utilize every single gift that God has given you. 
Because the reality is, every single one of us will find moments in our lives, seasons in our lives, where we periodically become fearful, where we might recoil in timidity. And we've seen that in the days that have been before us. And it used to be true of me, by the way, with public speaking. I don't know whether you think I'm a very good public speaker or not, but there were times where I didn't want to do any public speaking. I didn't enjoy it, but I realized the only way to overcome those fears is to actually face them head on, is to embrace them, is to learn how to conquer the fear, and then you can move forward in faith. And so the best way to overcome fear is to first acknowledge it, but the second thing that you have to do is not to give it a place of impact or influence in your life and that's fundamentally harder for us but we also need to recognize that fear doesn't come from God perfect love casts out all fear an all-encompassing promise for us this afternoon the reality is fear is probably a spiritual attack or the flesh trying to get at work in our lives the antidote to fear is to recognize what God has already done and given us a spirit of power and of love and of sound mind which means that God has given us a spirit of power when he does the work when we proclaim his word when we represent the kingdom well all the power of the Holy Spirit is accessible to us so God has not given us a spirit of fear can I get an amen in the house this afternoon we do not need to accept what God has not given us the spirit of fear but what we do need to receive and walk in is what he has given us. And that's a spirit of power, love and of sound mind. Why? Because fear will always hold you back from using the gifts that God has given you. That's a simple reality. I've always said this. The sole purpose of fear is paralysis. It's to stop you doing whatever it is that God has called you to do. So what has God given us? Well, he's given us a spirit of power. Now, it's not power that the world wants to define by how much you earn or your title that sits on your desk or your place of influence or how many people are on your social media. That's not power. I'm talking about the all-consuming power that is found solely in God himself. When we root ourselves in God, we see his power evident in every part of our lives. But he's also given us a spirit of love. Not the world's definition of love, by the way, God's definition of love, the Bible's definition of love. Jesus' love, a power, is expressed in how much we love and we serve other people. By this I will know that you are my disciples. We know that from John 13 very, very well. God has also given us a spirit of a sound mind, meaning this afternoon that we have to demonstrate self-control and respond calmly in every single situation which is in stark contrast to allowing the fear, or the confusion or the panic to grip our hearts and minds. It goes against the grain. It is counterculture. But Christ himself was perpetually counterculture. He always worked against the, the structures that were evident in the cities and towns that he ministered in. And the same is true for us today. Here is the bottom line, friends. We cannot fulfill God's purpose for our lives without these attributes. God's purpose is for more than us just to make money or to live well or to have holidays that we can't even have because of COVID-19. God desires us to fan into flame the gift that he's given us so that he can get the glory, so he can get the honor and his name can be given all the praise that's due his name because of what he's done in our life. And so the key litmus test, I think there are several, but I think the key one for me is what is the Spirit of the Living God doing in your heart? 
That for me is the litmus test. Is it bringing a permanent shift in your heart? Are you allowing your heart to be molded, to be shaped, to be changed by the leading of the Holy Spirit? Or have you still got the presuppositions? Have we still got the angst? Have we still got the hurts? We need to let go of those things and embrace the power of the Holy Spirit that will bring direction, that will bring order, that will bring peace and ultimately restoration into every part of our lives. Because in moments in our lives, do we find ourselves feeling fearful or do we find ourselves anchored and rooted in the power of the Holy Spirit? Do we find ourselves indifferent to injustice? Do we find ourselves hating certain groups of people or certain uh, uh, sections of society? Or do we find ourselves loving out of the place and witness that God has given us? 1 John 4.19, we love because he first loved us. Our ability to love others is first grounded and rooted in his love for us. A love that does not discriminate. A love that sees, does not see color, does not see gender, does not see age does not see society status or any other status. It just sees us as for who we are, created in his perfect image. The Holy Spirit is full of boldness, full of boldness. And that's what we're called to be. Because here's the truth. God will always help those who acknowledge that they need the help. When we are filled with God's power, we can't be filled without first emptying ourselves of ourselves. And as we empty ourselves of ourselves, God's power fills us and then we can start to fan into flame the gift that God has given us. Which means that we have to get rid of the propaganda, the pretense that we don't need God, we don't need the Spirit in our lives and allow ourselves to be open, to be vulnerable, to be receptive to the moving of the Holy Spirit and then we see His power on display. We have to accept the obvious friends, we are highly limited in what we can do in terms of our own power. There can be no tangible progress in our Christian walk, in our ministry, in our devotional time without the Spirit having full control and freedom to operate to maximum capacity in our lives. That requires a daily emptying of ourselves. So what have we learned this afternoon? Well, I, wanna, I want us to think a little bit that Jesus himself was profoundly committed to both social and economic justice. And as Christians, we cannot forget that. So much so, the authority figures of the day wanted to crucify Jesus for that because they feared the power that he had. Our power is not rooted in anything that we can say, but it's in who we are. Our core identity as a son, as a daughter of the Most High God. We have the most prestigious and the most powerful seat in the kingdom. Ephesians 2 verse 6 declares, He raised us up with Him and seated us with Him in heavenly places. Pastor Colin preached a brilliant message in our morning services that our fight is not against flesh and blood, Ephesians 6 verse 12, but against rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. God wants to release us from these bondages, from these strongholds right across every sector of society. And let me be clear, Jesus himself closed the debate 2,000 years ago on what lives matter. He died for all equally. Never lose sight of that in your journey with him. But recognize also that the Holy Spirit is one of the greatest gifts given to us as Christians, as believers. And it's been given to us to change our lives together as a community of believers, but also forever. Do not resist His transformational power in your life. 
then you will see the opportunities, you will see the conversations that need to be unpacked, the, uh, the attitudes that we take in different moments. We will take a Christ-centered response. We will have a Christ-centered heart and attitude in how we subsequently communicate. You know why? The love that the world has to offer is flimsy and feeble at best. Spiritual love can only come from God. And here's the reality. Human love will fail you, but God's love never fails. It is rich, it is relentless, it is unending and immeasurable. And it's afforded to you this afternoon. Because without the Spirit of the living God working in our lives, this type of love, along with the absence of hate, is subsequently impossible in our lives. Because in ourselves, friends, we can achieve very, very little. We will find ourselves pursuing all manner of worldly thoughts, worldly ideas, attempting to satisfy every ungodly thought. But the Holy Spirit, who can and should, we are able to employ self-discipline for the sake of living a life that honours God. Because apart from Him, we can do nothing. We need to position ourselves to receive His supernatural power to do those extraordinary things that He has called us to do. When we become clothed in the supernatural strength of God, we become strong in our identity. He's done it for us and He will do it again. But the reality is we need to fan into flame the gift that He has given to us. And then all will see that you are my disciples. Praise God.